to the Which Was Better podcast, where we decide which was better, the book or the movie. I'm your host, Lisa, and this week, y'all, this week, I have got a doozy for y'all. I'm so excited about this one. It was one of the book movie adaptation combos that made me want to do this podcast in the first place. And like to finally be talking about it, I'm okay, I'm I'm just like really so excited. So, okay, this week we are talking Frankenstein. Yep. The Frankenstein, like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and the Hallmark adaptation of Frankenstein. Correct. They did do a two-day miniseries based on the book and I am super ready to break it down for y'all. Okay. So I'm going to try and keep this um, episode short in length because honestly, I could talk about this book for hours, but this is a books versus movie podcast, not a uh, Victor Frankenstein is the absolute worst and here's 150 reasons why podcast. So I will try and keep it just to <laughs> the book versus movie angle. But before I dive into that, let me give you a little background of my history with um, Frankenstein, aka I have none. <laughs> my experience with Frankenstein amounts to the old Universal movie, Hotel Transylvania, and numerous, and when I say numerous, I mean dozens and dozens of viewings of one of the greatest movies ever made, Young Frankenstein. So I, I went into this book because I hadn't actually read the book, but I went into it thinking, oh, I know what I'm getting into. I've seen these. <laughs> I've seen these movies. It's fine. No, absolutely not. I very much did not know what I was getting to, into. And y'all, I am still mad about this book. <laughs> I read this over a month ago and like there are times when I'm still ranting to my husband, my poor husband, who... <laughs> very graciously listens and yeah shout out to him I'm very sorry but yes I'm talking like there was even a time when he was out of town and he was three hours behind us he was in Seattle and I was texting him and I was like I know it's six in the morning where you're at but I just and I just go on these little rants but you know what it's fine it's fine so sorry to him but here we go let's start with the book the book was first conceived in 1816 but it was not published until January of 1818 uh, the book was heavily edited after that first version and republished in 1831 and this is the version that most people read so side note now of course I should have prefaced this. This is written by Mary Shelley, and I'm sorry if, if you don't know that already. I'm sorry, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. But I do have a copy of this book that contains both versions, and I actually ended up listening to the audio version, and I used it, like I listened to it and had the 1818 text like in front of me so I could compare, and the audio version was the 1831, and then I followed the text. And there are differences, yes. Um, but again, I'm just going to try and talk talk about the movie and book differences because <laughs> I, I could go on and on. Uh, but the book summary is this, like the, the back of the book summary is, obsessed with creating life itself, Victor Frankenstein plunders graveyards for the material to fashion a new being, which he shocks into life with electricity. But his botched creature, rejected by Frankenstein and denied human companionship, sets out to destroy his maker and all he holds dear. Whew. Okay, so the movie 
Hallmark Entertainment. Now, so this is tricky because this was Hallmark Entertainment, which is technically Hallmark, but this was during a time when um, they were, I guess, I don't know if it, right, the right word is called a like a production company because, you know, they've made their own movies. But, you know, it was it was Hallmark Channel, but sort of this was like in the early aughts. So this was in 2004. It, it came out in October. Like it, it it was a two day series, October 5th through 6th on, uh, in 2004. And y'all, this was like a star studded cast. So this had Donald Sutherland, Julie Delpy. William Hurt, Ian McNeese, Jean Rochefort, and like a super young Dan Stevens, which I thought was funny. And coincidentally, the audiobook that I was listening to to read this um, was narrated by Dan Stevens. So the two main parts, Victor Frankenstein was played by Alex Newman and The Creature was played by Luke Goss. And the movie summary, Hallmark's movie summary to this is when the brilliant but Unorthodox scientist Dr. Victor Frankenstein rejects the artificial man that he created. The creature escapes and swears revenge. So it's pretty similar. I mean, there's not a whole lot of differences there. This, you know, they really tried to make a faithful adaptation. But y'all, <laughs> this is the way I describe this book and therefore this adaptation. This is like the turducken of literature. It's a story within a story, with another story inside that story, and even that story has a tiny story. So a quick timeline, if you haven't read this at all, just a quick timeline. In the first story of this turducken, a man named Robert Walton is desperate um, to voyage to the North Pole, like to the North Pole. He's just... Like it's kind of like a calling. He just he just can't stop himself. So he gathers a team and he takes off to find adventure in the North Pole. And he sets out on what ends up being a disastrous adventure. But throughout this, he writes a letter to his sister, Mrs. Saville, to tell her of his progress, but also to tell her how lonely he is. In his travels, he ends up finding and rescuing a basically near death Victor Frankenstein. Previously just to finding Victor Frankenstein, he sees this very odd, thinks it's a man, very large, doesn't know it's off in the distance. Of course, they're in the middle of, you know, the water, you know, the boat with Victor Frankenstein comes, you know, comes across and they find him and they rescue him because he's on the brink of death. And in kind of treating Victor Frankenstein back to health, he learns his story. So part of it is like Robert Walton telling his sister, like relaying this tale about Victor. So the first story is Robert Walton's story. Second story is Victor Frankenstein telling his entire life story to Robert Walton. And when I say his entire life story, I mean his entire life story. Also, you know, that little tiny part where he might have created a dude and then abandoned him. Yeah. Robert Walton is unfaced. <laughs> um, the third story happens. So in Victor Frankenstein's retelling of his life story and creating the creature and just trying to warn Robert Walton, he basically sees in Robert Walton a little bit of himself, like this kind of crazed, like frenzy to explore and to, you know, find new discoveries and he just, they both can't help themselves, right? Robert Walton with his trip to the North Pole and Victor Frankenstein with creating life from death. 
So he sets out to tell him like this warning, like, please don't follow in my footsteps. So in his story, which he starts at the very beginning of his life, he then starts a third story, which he finally stumbles across the creature. And then we learn the creature's backstory because we have to hear all the, from the time the creature's born to the, to the end, we learn the entirety of his story. And within that story, the creature relays a tiny story about a family called the DeLacy's that the creature follows around for a while. And that's how he learns to like talk. And he's very, very intelligent and he learns how to read and write and learns, you know, emotions. And basically this is how he learns to be a person. So yeah, it's a story within a story within a story with a tiny story within that story. And I know I'm leaving out a lot, but I really implore you to read this book if you haven't because it's banana pants and exhausting. <laughs> it is pages and pages of Victor Frankenstein's torment, then the creature's torment, then the DeLacy's torment, and then even sort of like Robert Walton, the narr- the, the pseudo narrator, his torment. It's so much torment. I mean, I, everybody take a drink the next time I say torment. But this was basically like the romantic period. So it's all like, which, you know, those stories were all about feelings and the individual and emotions and exploring. And as a person who's very stoic and loves the teachings of the Stoics, this is why I find this entire story exhausting. (laughs) So basically, Victor Frankenstein tells his story from the beginning. He's a very inquisitive child. You know, as he grows up in a very loving household, his parents are fantastic. So much so that they gift him a girl. Yes, an actual girl. They're like, here, you're great. Here's a girl. Eventually, we want you to marry her. So basically, they give him a girl. Strange. But her name is Elizabeth and she becomes important, you know, throughout the story because they grow up together. They are eventually betrothed, you know, they fall in love, etc. Victor finds himself just restless with life. He wants to explore. He wants to learn. He starts reading books about, you know, these um, certain scientists that talk about bringing life after death and he just becomes enamored of it. He becomes desperate to learn more. He leaves for university. He finds these professors that, well, the first one kind of laughs it off. He's like, you read those people? Yeah, they're bonkers. Don't do that. And then he finds a second professor is like, oh, well, that's interesting. Well, if you want to follow this path, you need to do this and this. And this second professor named Professor Waldman really like encourages him to like, you know, Hey, explore this if this is what you feel like your calling is. And Victor does to the point where it's like becomes a madness where he just can't stop himself to the detriment of his health, his like emotional well-being, his, you know, mental health, everything. And he succeeds. He finally gets to it and he creates a monster. Well, it's not even a monster at that point. He creates a creature. And the moment the creature comes to life, uh... Victor Frankenstein is like freaked out. He's like, oh my God, he's disgusting. And he bolts. He like totally abandons him. And he takes off, you know, and he leaves. And then eventually he goes back. I want to say the next day, maybe a day or two later. I don't remember, honestly. (laughs) But when he goes back, he sees that his laboratory is empty. The creature's gone. He's like, oh, problem solved. He's gone. (laughs) I'll just live my life now. I mean, 
it's over. Yeah, no. You know, and so he's telling the story to Robert Walton and throughout, you know, he finally gets to the point where, yes, he and the creature meet back up again. The creature tells him how, hey, all of a sudden I was a person and I was awake and it was very disorienting and I had to figure it all out by myself because you abandoned me and I was left to my own devices. And guess what? Everybody hated me. Everybody shunned me because I'm horrific looking because uh, you took dead body parts and sewed them together and made a person and he's shunned by everyone and he's you know he has to learn basically how to live and survive and what day is and what night is and oh temperatures change and seasons and oh you shouldn't eat that no and fire (laughs) and fire hurts when you touch it that sort of thing and eventually the creature finds a a family to kind of like hide out and watch and then of course the creature has to tell that story so we do get that story from the beginning good lord it's a lot and that fa- so he he kind of secretly like spies on this family and he learns how to read and write and he you know just wants to take care of them when they're not around he does things for them he like chops wood he like tries to help out the family and eventually gets to the point where he's so desperate to know them and to love them and to like be a part of their family that he takes a risk. And when most of the family is gone, except for the older like gentleman of the family, the grandpa, I think, or the dad who's blind, he goes in and he tries to talk to him and says, please help me. I'm being shunned by everyone. And the blind man is like, how can people shun you? You sound so nice. You sound so delightful. Well, everybody comes back and sees that it's this eight foot <laughs> creature made out of body parts. And they're like, hello, get out. And they kick him out. And of course, he's just tortured by it. He's, you know, it's it's horrific for him because everywhere he goes, he just, he gets rejected and it builds a rage into him, you know, and Eventually, he crosses paths with Victor Frankenstein's family. And as time goes on and the more he gets rejected, the more his revenge builds up and he starts basically murdering everybody that Victor Frankenstein's ever known. And that leads them to a big chase across the country. And they really want to murder each other. But at the same time, they're so intertwined together that they don't. And they just chase each other around and everybody's miserable and it's pages and pages of their feelings and then Victor Frankenstein dies and the creature comes back is like oh he's dead now I'm sad and he walks off you know there you go that's that's the gist of it so (laughs) the movie actually follows that timeline pretty well and like I said I haven't seen a whole lot of Frankenstein adaptations. The universal one is does not follow the book. It's a lot more horror-based. And young Frankenstein is just funny. So obviously that doesn't follow. I mean, it follows sort of, you know, there's certain key aspects that it, it pulls from it, but obviously it's not the book. But is it a faithful adaptation? For the, for the most part, yes. Now here are some key differences. So The setup for the movie is slightly different. It's still a boat. It's still the middle of like this icy North Pole track. But we meet Robert Walton and he's not writing letters to his sister. He's not super lonely. Um, In fact, he's a lot older than I anticipated because he's Donald Sutherland. (laughs) And so it's not the same setup there. The 
experiments that Victor Frankenstein performs in order to achieve creating life after death. You know, in the movie, they really dive into those. They they show him robbing graves. They show him frantically working in his lab, like becoming more and more of a recluse. They show him bringing animals to life. Side note, they do kill a dog in this. Hello. I was like, this ain't in the book. I was mad. I was so upset. I was like, how could you do this to us? How could? And they show it. They don't just like do it off camera. They show it like twice. It's awful. <laughs> they show him dying and then they show him bringing him back and then they show him dying again. It's it's terrible. But, you know, in the movie, they show this like rapid him rapidly deteriorating in both physical and mental health. And it's it's so creepy. It's so unsettling. I mean, in the book, Victor Frankenstein talks about it, but it's all his words. He doesn't go into detail. Like Mary Shelley never gives us details of how he does create these this creature, how, you know, the science behind it, the methods that he used. No, it's just, it's, it's all of Victor's emotions about the toil and the trauma. And, oh my God, I was so tortured. And bleh. Then there's Professor Waldman, who's, you know, in the books, the one that encourages him. And it's the same in the movie. And this character is actually played by um, William Hurt with a German accent, which is sort of off-putting, but sure. So in the book, he encourages him. He's like, oh, you've read these previous scientists who, you know, st- have studied this. Here's here. Let me let me supplement it. Let me help you. But in the book, you never get the idea that Professor Waldman is like, oh, he's about to sew some dead body parts together and make a living, breathing creature. He's just thinking, okay, he's very interested in all sciences. Let me help him be a good student. Whereas in the movie, Professor Waldman does figure out what Victor Frankenstein is up to. And he, on several occasions, pleads with him, don't do this. Listen, (laughs) you have two paths here and you're going down the wrong one. I'm telling you, please don't do this. And Victor Frankenstein's, I know better than you do, you know, that sort of thing. So there's also like before I talked about the experiments with the dog dying, like, again, why? You could have really done that off camera, but okay. In the deaths, so a lot of people die. Victor Frankenstein's little brother, Victor Frankenstein, his name is William. William's caretaker, Justine, gets blamed for the murder and she hangs, so she dies. Victor Frankenstein's childhood friend who ends up following him throughout the course of his life. They go to college together. Um, His name is Henry Clerval. He goes to college with him. Like he grew up together with him and, and the little girl that got gifted to Victor, Elizabeth, they all three like were playmates together. So when Victor goes off to college, Henry goes with him. Later, when Victor has to leave and and go do some more experiments, Henry's there. Henry's in his life a lot. So Henry also dies. Sorry. If you haven't read this, sorry. Henry dies. Victor's father dies. Victor's mother dies. Like, everyone dies, man. Elizabeth dies. Everyone dies. And the movie is not shy about showing every single one of these deaths. All of them. (laughs) Like, not even like, okay, well you know, a camera tilt or just we get the innuendo. No, they show every death, which is very shocking. (laughs) Not just because it's a hallmark. And that's the thing is like hallmark of your (laughs) back in the day, they used to do these big, you know, productions, adaptations, like these big, you know, hallmark hall of fame movies. And they didn't shy away from, you know, the cookie cutter 
stuff that we started getting, you know, like 2010 to now, you know, just now they're starting to bring back some of the more realistic storylines and stuff like that. But this is, they used to do this all the time. So it was nothing. It wasn't like a big deal. It is just shocking though, after years and years of seeing these very sterile, very cookie cutter movies to see them going back, you know, to see something previous where, oh yeah, they show everybody die. (laughs) So the first death, Victor Frankenstein's little brother, in the book, it's out of revenge. The The creature finds him, has been rejected by everyone, you know, realizes, you know, because he has Victor Frankenstein's journal and he learns about his, you know, how he came about, how Victor had created him and how basically he abandoned him. And so he wants revenge and he ends up killing his little brother. They they come across each other and he kills him. He straight up murders the dude, the little kid. And... um. In the movie, he it's the same thing. And yes, we see it. But it's presented more as an accident. Like, it's a very, um, you know, in the book of Mice and Men with Lenny and the kittens. They're kittens, right? They're not, I think they're kittens. And he squeezes it too hard because he doesn't know his own strength. And he kills it. It's so sad. <laughs> it's kind of, the it's presented the same way in the movie. So... The creature doesn't know his own strength and he accidentally squeezes the kid too hard trying to get answers from him. But so it's it's slightly different in the movie. And I think it takes away some of the the ramping up of his vengeance, um, the escalation. There you go. That's the word I'm looking for. It kind of takes that away because by showing in the movie that it's an accident, it's like, well, he didn't mean to. But in this in the book version, it's very much an escalation. It gets to the point where, you know, the creature just can't stop himself. And so, you know, there, there, that's a huge difference there. And throughout all of this, you know, Victor keeps all of this really to himself. You know, yes, he's telling Robert Walton, but in the retelling, as it's happening, you know, as the, the events are happening, you know, his studies, you know, his experiments, the aftermath of creating a, a creature, um, all, everybody dying. Victor doesn't tell anybody what he's done at all. Robert Walton is the first person he's actually told, hey, this is what I've been up to. This is what I did. So he doesn't, he keeps it a secret like forever. And these poor family members around him who've at one point lose their youngest son or brother in William and then eventually his caretaker Justine and you know eventually Elizabeth like everybody around them is like desperate like they're they're just swallowed up in grief throughout the story and they're just like you know desperate for answers and Victor has them and he never tells them and it's so incredibly selfish oh my gosh so these secrets that Victor keeps to himself at one point, you know, Elizabeth and Victor decide they're they're going to get married, even though Victor is very much still in his head about all of this. And he tells Elizabeth, you know, I will tell you my secrets the day after we're married, but not before. Whereas in the movie, she's like, listen, I don't want to know. I mean, I know something's plaguing you and it's fine. Whatever it is, do you think I won't love you anymore? I mean, so let's just get married and then you can tell me after, but let's just get married first. 
So in the, in the movie, it's Elizabeth's choice to wait. And in the book, it's Victor's like demand, like, I'm not going to tell you until after we're married, which I'm like, way to trap her, dude. Okay. <laughs> so very different motivations between the book and the movie on, on Victor's secrets. Earlier, I spoke about Victor's friend, Henry Clerval. So they are lifelong friends. Henry shows up at various points in Victor's life. And he is the positivity to Victor's just absolute drudgery. <laughs> um, and so in the book, he's a constant like ray of sunshine. Like no matter what, he's just joy. Even when he feels bad for Victor, even when he's nursing him back to health, even when he's very concerned about him, he's like, hey, there's still a lot of life to live. Let's, you know, live and and find happiness somewhere. And he's very oblivious to everything that Victor has done. You get the idea that he kind of suspects, but it's never flat out said. Whereas in the movie, he finds out exactly what Victor's up to. And he's like, what the F, dude? Like, are you serious? <laughs> and it gets to the point where, you know, Victor is, when he meets the creature and the creature is, you know, telling him his life story and basically like, you know, this is all your fault. You abandoned me. You didn't help me. You didn't stay with me. You left me to myself and now everybody rejects me. You know, I could have used your help. And so now to, to pay me back, you're going to make a female version of me. And I want a mate and then we will leave forever and you'll never see us again. But you're going to make me a female version. And Victor's like, the hell I am. But then, of course, he agrees. He's like, OK, fine, I'll do it. So Henry Claval in the movie gets wind of the, like he finds out. He sees everything. He sees the random pieced together corpse of a woman on a table in a lab. <laughs> it's so creepy. <laughs> and he's like, what are you doing in here? And in the movie, Henry is the reason why Victor snaps out of it. It's like, okay, I won't do this. But in reality, or in the book... That moment has come across when Victor's like, wait a minute, if I do this, what if for some reason they can have kids, the creature and the female creature, what if they can have kids and they start a whole race of creatures and it brings destruction to the world? I mean, it's like borderline racist, y'all. It's like bonkers the way he describes this. But and Victor's like, I can't do it. And he destroys the female version of the creature in front of the creature like he like burns her or something he just like basically like destroys her and the creature's like what are you doing but in the movie it's henry and and victor that together like we can't do this okay let's get rid of the body and henry helps him helps him dispose of the body and then he's like see you're done you're free you'll live a good life and tomorrow will be better spoiler tomorrow is not better but we'll get to that the last major difference in the two are Victor Frankenstein is Victor Frankenstein's father, who in both the movie and the book, Victor's father is super supportive, very happy, very jovial, just wants to give Victor the best life he can. Like I said, they give him a, a another person. <laughs> That's a gift. <laughs> And in the book, even through all of his, even through all of Victor's father's desperation, Victor never confides in him. He never tells him what he's doing. He never lets him know that 
you know, this is why he's the way he is. This is why he keeps disappearing. This is why he's tortured, that sort of thing. And Victor's even like, I had the best father in the world and I still couldn't go to him. I still couldn't confide in him. And so Victor's father dies, you know, just always supporting his son and just never knowing why his son was, you know, afflicted the way he was. And in the movie, this is very different. Once Elizabeth is killed in the movie by the creature, um, Victor's father blames Victor and he's like, you're basically a plague on our house. You've brought nothing but death since you've started your, you know, schooling and I want you out of here. You have to leave. Don't ever come back. And he gets thrown out of the house and Victor's father like abandons him. It's like, leave. Which I guess in the movie is supposed to mirror, you know, he, Victor got abandoned by his father, just like he abandoned his creature. Either way, I, it, it makes me sad because in the book, it's very moving in that Victor always had this like support system and it lends to so much more of his torture because he's like, I did this to these, this amazing family that's been nothing but nice to me. And so that's kind of taken away in in the movie a little bit. But that's not to say that I feel sorry for Victor because I don't. He's a terrible person. <laughs> so the big character differences, I want to start with the creature first. The creature to me is the most fascinating part of all of this. He's not my favorite character. I'll get to that. But he is the most fascinating to me because there's so much that can be interpreted and I think that no matter what time, like time period you're in, you can always draw parallels to what's happening in the present day, you know, based on where you are, because this, this character is just, I don't know, you can pull so much from it. There are things that I'm reading, you know, when I was reading this, this book, I was like, oh my gosh, that's like today with this, you know, or with this that happened. And so the creature is one of the most fascinating characters. So in the book, like I said, we get pages and pages and pages of backstory from Victor Frankenstein and the creature. So when we finally get to the creature story, we learn everything from his very first breath, like the moment he opens his eyes and realizes, hey, what is this? What am I seeing? What is, like he can't process it. It's also overwhelming, which you can imagine when you're a baby, you don't understand you don't have that level of awareness but can you imagine just all of a sudden waking up as a fully fledged adult and just being like hey what's happening so we we learned everything from his first breath and realization of life to his initial struggles with you know being a person to his constant rejections from everybody from all corners you know, Victor Frankenstein is the first to reject him and then various townspeople and eventually the DeLacy's, the family that he, you know, comes to learn from and that shapes him emotionally, mentally, you know, and who he comes to love. Like he ends up loving everybody in that house. So with each rejection, he gets more and more vengeful until he's just like a flat out murderer. You know, but in all that, and I'm talking about the book here and all of that, I still feel sympathy for him. I mean, he should be viewed as super entitled and, and towards the latter part of the book, he gives off tremendous like incel vibes, you know, with his demand for a mate. But 
through all that, I can't help it. I, I still feel bad for him. He starts out with such wonder and gentility. Like when he's retelling the first few weeks of his life, it's it's very gentle. That's the only way to describe it. And it's only through the cruelness of those around him regarding his looks that he becomes brutal. It's it's a very much a, a question of nurture versus nature. Would he have turned out this way had Frankenstein not immediately abandoned him? And if he had stuck around and guided him through those first few weeks and months of life, I mean, would this have all happened? And in the movie, okay, now in the movie, <laughs> we still get his backstory, but it's 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 way more muted. And as far as looks go, this dude is not scary. He's like, in the movie, he's like crusty. He's a little musty, but he's nothing like the book describes him. So here's the description of the creature from the book. He's eight foot tall, hideously ugly creation with translucent yellowish skin pulled so taut over the body that it barely disguised the workings of the arteries and muscles underneath. With watery glowing eyes, flowing black hair, black lips, and prominent white teeth. Gross, right? Like that, yes, if you saw an eight foot tall dude with translucent skin, just, and you could see all of his veins and he had like watery glowing eyes, you'd be like, hey, what's up, dude? In the movie, he literally looks like, a, to me, the first thing I thought was, is this Tom Cruise? <laughs> is this like a giant unwashed Tom Cruise? <laughs> and in real life, it's funny because I'm like, okay, He's not scary looking in the movie. Like I said, he looks kind of like Tom Cruise. And in real life, I guarantee there would be plenty of people out there that would be like, eh, I could work with this. <laughs> I mean, he's a bit dirty, but it's fine. I guarantee there would be people that would be all over it. <laughs> and in this version, I just didn't feel the same sympathies with him. Yes, I mean, we see his first moments and the first murders watered down. So it's, you know, it's an accident. and we see people rejecting him, but it's just, he comes off as more petulant and it's like the entitlement that I should have felt in the book comes through more in the movie. You know, his being abandoned and constantly rejected. It's like, he feels entitled now to everything that he seeks. He like deserves the attention of those at the cottage who he secretly helps. And of course, then Frankenstein deserves what's coming to him because of for what he did to him. I don't know. Again, like I said, they follow the same timeline and they follow the same storyline, but I just didn't, like, I just didn't feel the same level of sympathy as I did for the book creature. Maybe because we do get those pages and pages and pages of his <laughs> innermost thoughts. But yeah, it just, it didn't draw the same feelings for me. Not to say that it wasn't a good portrayal. I I want to clarify, I very much enjoyed the movie. My husband actually like watched it with me and, you know, he's read the book. He's seen several adaptations and he really enjoyed it. And And I did too. I just fresh off the book, nonstop thinking about it. I just, there was just that little bit of of pull towards the book as opposed to the movie when it comes to the creature all right now frankenstein i don't care book or movie he's the worst he's the absolute worst <laughs> so book frankenstein you know it's funny because he goes through these phases where he's like this is all my fault but in reality, you don't get the feeling that he really thinks anything is his fault. He never really takes any sort of real responsibility in what he's done. 
like he blames himself, you know, at times to various people. He makes his grand statements of, you know, the death of William and Justine. It's all on me. I did this. I brought this on our family. But it always comes off to it always like it. It read to me more like it happened to him as fate instead of, dude, you created a creature and then abandoned him. <laughs> like you did this. You did this to yourself. Um, it, it, There was just always this little thread of he was saying that he did this all and like this is all his fault, but it almost felt prideful in a way. He let his life get consumed with this experiment. It's finally successful. Then once he realizes what he's done, you know, he he leaves the creature and he thinks problem solved and that's it. And then again, it just keeps consuming his life. And the more it consumes him, the more he's like, woe is me. I can't believe this is my life. I can't believe this is what's happened to me. Well, you did it to yourself. <laughs> and even in death. Even when he's at death's door, like even on the ship with Robert and Robert Walton and he's relaying his story and it's clear that he's not going to make it off this ship. He's he's not going to find the creature and give him, you know, the death he thinks he so rightly deserves. You know, it's not going to happen. Even at death's door, he's like a miserable and I guess it's my fault, but in the end it was fate, you know, ugh. just the worst. <laughs> and that's the thing is the the one time I think that he's doing a good deed by telling Robert Walton, you know, hey, let me tell you this tale so that way I can get you to stop following in what I see are my footsteps until he's about to die. And then he's like, look, I know I just spent 11 years telling you my life story to prevent you from making the same mistakes I did. But when I finally die, would you please take up this mantle and kill the eight foot murderer? I've literally spent my life being tortured by and could never kill. Okay, thanks. Bye. Like he actually says, hey, would you go ahead and do this for me after I die? Because I didn't get to. That'd be great. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I'm not even going to get to again because I already talked about it. His family. He's the worst to his family. He's so selfish. You know, the entire time they are desperately like just at every turn, like, tell us what's wrong. Tell us how we can help you. And he abandons them over and over again in their grief, in their worst times. And he never tells them what's wrong. And it's so selfish. It's so cruel. It's so unfair. And he does it in both the book and the movie. And that's why Victor Frankenstein is the worst. And that's why this book almost broke me. <laughs> I couldn't get over it. I kept, I just ranting to everybody that will listen, my poor coworkers and my poor husband. I was like, listen, and then let me tell you what happened. <laughs> So the last two people I want to talk about before I wrap this up are Robert Walton and Henry Clerval. So Robert Walton, you know, is the is, has the framework of the story. You know, it's the letter to his sister in the in the book and in the movie. It's he's captaining the ship that finds this near death man while out on the water. So in the book. What cracks me up about Robert Walton is he's hearing this fantastical tale, right? Just this tale of very miserable, torturous, just torment drink of this man that he's known for about 48 hours who's telling him this tale. And the whole time, all I can think of is, I finally found a friend. <laughs> remember, he's like to his sister, remember I told you I was really lonely? Uh Somebody just showed up and he's kind of weird and he's got this fantastical tale, but 
he could totally be my friend. And it's like, dude, this guy has done nothing but force his misery on you in the longest story ever told. And you want him to be your BFF. The whole time I was reading this, I was like, get off the boat, dude. Go touch some grass. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, Book Walton is every woman in her 20s who meets an emotionally unavailable man. And it's like, I can change him. Girl, no, you can't. Move on. Find someone else. He dies anyway, so it doesn't matter. But you get what I'm saying. And in the movie, it's Donald Sutherland. Like I said earlier, I didn't think, you know, I didn't read him to be older in the book. I thought he was just going to be the same age, you know, maybe even younger than Victor Frankenstein. But in the end, it's Donald Sutherland. Like he's the master at listening on screen. You know, when somebody's talking or it's a big monologue and Donald Sutherland is opposite this person or something big is happening, the subtle facial decisions this man makes just when listening to his co-stars it's art it's beautiful it's gorgeous I don't even care that he doesn't match the book I don't even care that he didn't write letters it's Donald Sutherland he's amazing it works okay so I saved my favorite character for last I said I had a favorite and this is him Henry Clerval yo justice for Henry Henry is he's so sweet he's so loving he's just trying to live his joyous henry life like he is precious in the book and almost as precious in the movie because he's played to perfection by dan stevens like seriously this i don't even know how old he is in this movie like i don't know how old dan stevens was when he made this but it was perfectly cast. He has that, those big, bright blue eyes that are just really wide and very innocent looking. And he's got that little smirk, like just that, you know, that little boyish, you know, hint. And yet he's grown into a teenager. Perfect, perfect casting. You know, the only real difference is that, you know, in the movie, like I said, he finds out and he helps them dispose of the body. Weird. Or actually, Victor does most of it, but he he knows and he helps him get the body to the water. Anyways. And so when he dies, it's very upsetting (laughs) in both the book and the movie. More so in the book, because the last time that, you know, Henry and Victor are together, Henry is just like, okay, I'm going to go off. There's still life to live. It's just a wonderful day. And he's smiling and he's happy. And then you never see him again. And in the, in the movie, it's similar, except for he's not really about to leave for like a party. He just helped him carry a piece together, female version of the creature to dump in a body of water in the middle of the night. And Henry's like, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. That's done. And he doesn't because we never see him again, which makes me sad because Henry's very sweet and I just want justice for Henry Clerval. I'm going to make shirts. Okay. So which was better? Can I say no one? (laughs) Can I say no one wins? No, I'm just kidding. So I've thought about this a lot. And while I enjoyed the movie, because it removes, you know, like 75% of Victor Frankenstein's emotional vomit. And it was nice to, you know, like I said, see Hallmark of Yore 
I still think I got to pick the book. Even with my disdain of Victor Frankenstein. Because then I, you know, no matter how much I dislike his character, you know what I'm saying? He's like the ultimate, well, actually wife guy. But even with all that, I think about Mary Shelley, hold up with Percy Shelley and Lord Byron and John Polidori. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. (laughs) I get why you wrote them like this. I get why you wrote all the men in this book like this. And I get why this book is the way it is. And good for you, Mary Shelley. Because I get it. (laughs) So that's it. I'm picking the book. We did it. We covered Frankenstein, Hallmark's Frankenstein. I'm so excited that this movie exists, y'all. I really want y'all to go see it. You can find it on, to stream on Amazon Prime. That's what we did. I think you can find it for free viewing on Plex right now. But we did the, um, I think we bought it on Amazon Prime for like four or five dollars worth it it was fun it was good so have you read this book have you read mary shelley's frankenstein or watched this hallmark adaptation what did you think and how much did you hate victor frankenstein you can tell me let's be in on this together let's rant about him together but yeah please let me know your thoughts you can find me on twitter or instagram at which was better or on the website which was better.com And as always, thank you so much for listening, commenting, sharing, and just, you know, generally being awesome. I very much appreciate each and every one of you. Every time one of you guys sends me a message or a retweet or a like, or even uh, when y'all send me a message and say, hey, I read this book because of your episode, like it seriously, it fills me with joy. So thank you guys. And you know what? Happy Halloween, because this is going to come out the Friday before Halloween. So I hope everybody has a safe and fun Halloween and we will see you next time. Bye.